Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I am Will Anderson from the title of the podcast and uh, uh, I think you're going to enjoy today's episode. Reese Nicholson is a superstar stand-up comedian and one of the nicest guys in the world of standing up comedy. Uh, he is doing a show currently at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. Then he's going on to the Enmore, which is a huge show for Reese, as he mentions on this podcast. If you're in Sydney and you have the opportunity to go and see Reese at the end more, please go and do it. Uh, we want to pack out that show. Reese used to work at the box office at the end more. So for him, the idea of selling out the end more, having a packed room in the end more is actually one of those things that, you know, is really important to him. And uh, so people of Sydney, absolutely guarantee you'll have a good night out if you go and see Reese Nicholson. So if you've ever been thinking about going and see Reese, catch him in Melbourne if you're in Melbourne. But if you're in Sydney and you think about seeing him, uh, please go and do it at the end more and, of course, catch him at all the other various gigs he'll be doing around Australia and around the world. Uh, Reese is an international traveller, so particularly if you're in the UK, uh, probably plenty of opportunity to see Reese do his stand-up comedy as well. So um, uh, speaking of which, I am doing my own. Uh, my show is called Will Informed. It is on at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. It is a debut of a brand new show, uh, which is meant... Uh, the last week has been pretty uh, uh, pretty bananas. And uh, first two preview nights, uh, thank you to the crowds that came along to those. Uh, very absolutely wonderfully generous and uh, helped me have a little sense of where the show was going. And then on Friday night, I hit my little uh, <laughs> speed up, which is uh, very common when you're putting together a show. Normally, um, things go okay for a couple of nights and then you have that show that you need, which feels like none of it works, which is actually the show that helps you kind of you know really work out um you need a generous audience the first couple of nights and then you need a tough one so that you can really work out where the problems are and fix them and and i feel like we're well under the way uh to do that now uh, way well on the way to do that now uh saturday and sunday nights i absolutely love both those shows thank you to the enormous and uh wonderful crowd that came in on saturday night but also the uh, you know, smaller but equally wonderful crowd who came and saw the show on Sunday night. Um, both just great fun shows to do. Um, as a performer, I was just having an absolute ball on Saturday and Sunday and the show felt like it was really starting to find what it's about and find its feet and I was starting to have a real connection with the material. So uh, if you've been waiting until uh, I could tell you that it was good, I reckon it's good from now on. Uh, you know, it'll change and it'll get better and it'll develop. But if you want to come along, come along now. If you're the sort of person who was waiting for me to uh, lock it in and tell you it was worth coming to see, then uh, come along and have a look. It's come together. I said originally if it could come together in the first week, uh, then I'd be pretty happy. And uh, it looks like that is going to be the case. So fingers crossed, uh, we're well on our way. So Wednesday and Thursday of, of each week are cheaper tickets. So if you want to come along uh, tonight when you're hearing this, um, or tomorrow night, they're cheap tickets. Uh, Sunday's also a little cheaper. Friday and Saturday have the premium prices, but um, come along. 15 shows left. Uh, don't miss out. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a really fun, interesting show now, so please come along and see that. And there's plenty of my other guests, uh, obviously, uh, Dilruk and Richard Stubbs and a whole bunch of people who've done uh, philosophy episodes are doing shows at the festival or around the country. So please, if you like their episodes, you know, please support their shows also and go out and see their shows. And yes, I'm trying to get a bunch of uh, other comedy festival guests as well. Um, what I might do is, you know, obviously not all the episodes that I record during the comedy festival, I will have time to put up during the comedy festival. So uh, what I will try to do is at the, at the very least, you know, give all those people a good plug and 
um, make sure that you're, you're aware of their shows. Oh, speaking of great plugs, go and see Justin Hamilton's show, uh, The Ballad of John Tilt Animus. Uh, it's a three-part show. The first part got a four-and-a-half-star review in The Herald Sun. Uh, it won uh, the entire three hours, the three parts, one best show at the Adelaide Fringe Festival. Uh, he's only doing some random shows during the Melbourne International Comedy Festival, but if you have a chance to go and see Justin Hamilton uh, and his show, I highly recommend that also. Um, All right, that'll do. That's the intro. Uh, Enjoy today's episode. If you want to support us, you can do that by going to patreon.com slash tofop, subscribing there, and that helps support all the podcasts that we do here on the Tofop Network. Okay, so uh, thank you very much, and uh, talk to you again soon. Enjoy this with the rest. Hello and welcome to Willosophy with Will Anderson. I am Will Anderson from the title of the podcast. My mouth is a little clammy. That's what I've noticed. Hang on, I'm going to have a sip of water. The reason for that is that I'm recording uh, two podcasts back to back today and uh, we recorded one with uh, Dil, uh, Dilruk Jaisinger, that will already be up. So you can go and listen to that if you'd like. And in between recording that podcast, I decided I would pop down to the local cafe with Dil and get a coffee. And on the way down there, I realized I didn't have my wallet with me, which seemed like a power move to make Dill pay for my coffee. But I had a panic and realized that I'd taken my backpack off at that cafe before the podcast, and I had no memory of putting my backpack back on. And uh, in that backpack was not only my wallet, but also my comedy festival show. So the two things that are proving pretty much most valuable in my entire life were in that backpack, and I couldn't remember if it was in the cafe or here in the studio under the desk. It turns out, uh, to my great relief, it is here in the studio under the desk, and uh, I've now, I realized, I've had that spike in adrenaline, and then I've had that calmness, and now my body has gone into that weird shutdown you do after you've like almost fallen off a ladder and killed yourself at home. So anyway, good way to start the podcast. <laughs> Welcome to Philosophy. Uh, my name's Will Anderson, and I'm very... Very uh, pleased to have our next guest here. Uh, the last time I saw him, well, that this is not actually true. The last time I saw him was at, at a gig trying new material um, around town. But the last time I saw him on stage was doing support for Conan O'Brien at a Conan and Friends show at the State Theatre in Sydney. And Conan O'Brien was pretty magnificent that night. Uh, you know, as a guy who didn't start out doing stand-up comedy, his capacity to you know, do stand-up comedy. He's been doing it for a while now and obviously he's been doing a monologue on his show for years, but um, was very impressive. But I thought the the standout performer on the night was my next guest. He just had a set that blew the absolute roof off the theatre and it was, you know, amazing to see somebody that I've I've seen so much over the years um, just, you know, absolutely at the peak of their game, absolutely in their element. And I'm very pleased to have you. I couldn't look at you while I was saying that. Could you notice? <laughs> I was just staring at my glass I of could, water. Yeah, I couldn't look either. <laughs> uh, so it starts like this. Who are you? Uh, I'm Reese Nicholson, and I'm a stand-up comedian. You are indeed. You are a very impressive stand-up comedian, I will say. Like that oh, set thanks, at Conan, it stuck with me for ages, to be honest. I felt, like, oh. In fact, if anything, it's really, to be honest, ruined my... <laughs> <laughs> ruined a couple of my weeks because occasionally when I'm writing something, I'm like, well, this isn't as funny as that bit that Reese oh. was doing on stage. But but mostly I was very you know proud of you and, and very excited to see how magnificent and in control you are of your stand-up at the moment. Um, I'd love to now hear, because I imagine that most of what you were doing that night was 
material you've probably done for a while? Oh, yeah. It's like all that was all stuff from last year's show. Mm. So it was just like, and last year I, I wrote a show that was like, this is a, like, I wanted to do like an hour of bang, 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 like as much as I possibly could and worked really hard on that. Cause the show that I'd done the year before was like fine, but just a bit loosey, too loosey goosey for my liking. Um, but yeah, so, but and I just, I planned, we had 15 minutes and I didn't want to go over. They were really clear in the emails. Don't go over. And the last person you want to make angry is like Jeff Daniels, the, <laughs> the producer of Conan. Um, and yeah, and it was like a nice big theater and yeah, I just, I, I put it together. I just, I, I also wanted to do stuff that, uh, I would enjoy the most like doing like kind of bits that I like he was like, a, he, he's got a really comedy centric crowd. So you can kind of go in a few odd little places without, you know, usually the last time I did the state theater, I've done it one other time I was opening for Tina arena. Um, <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> And Very what, her, different her, crowd. Her, her crowd not as comedy savvy as Conan yeah, O'Brien's be crowd? Honest. Yeah, you'd be, be surprised. No, well, because I had this weird, I think, and actually, strangely, I did it, I opened for her twice, once at the Corner Hotel in um, Melbourne, which is like kind of a, it was like a GA, like standing up kind of gig, and it was really, it was more kind of like intimate and fun, and, but this is the crazy thing, it's like, it seems to me, she was really lovely, she was amazing, and so was everyone there, but like, her, it's like a, her, a promoter had been like, let's see what happens if we put a comedian on before Tina and not really understanding comedy. Uh, they, I, they asked me to do 35 minutes. <laughs> so I had to like, the corner hotel, it worked. It was like, it was a pub and I was like, I just went, amped up aggression and like had like a fun time. Like well, a pub also gig. it's kind of a fun vibe. Like the corner hotel, that room is, it's a classic pub gig. Yeah. Um, but also Seeing Tina Arena at the Corner Hotel is saying something to that audience, which is you would not normally see Tina yeah. Arena in this environment. Tina's in a pub. This is a different experience. So the idea of like you coming on as a comedian, you doing your thing, then Tina comes on and does her thing. Yeah. It's like got a pub gig vibe. But suddenly you're at the State Theatre where people have come to see Tina Arena do her theatre show. This is Chains. Ex- <laughs> this couldn't be further away from Chains. Uh, but, and also you, I forgot as well, like not, I wasn't really thinking about it till I got to the gig and this is also a couple of years ago. So I was not, I was still green to these types of gigs. Like I was built for the corner. I was not built for, which now I feel like these days I'm built for gigs like the state and stuff, which is a weird way to word it. But like, as in, I, I was talking to someone the other day about how, like, I, I don't get nervous about big rooms anymore. Things like the opera house and stuff, because it's safety in numbers. Like it's, you know what I mean? Like it's real. Whereas I, I'm more nervous about 40 people in, in an open mic room. Also, there is a difference between like the, the benefits because they are very different skills to a certain extent, playing a smaller room, playing yeah. versus playing a bigger room. Yeah. Um, they're different rhythms. You know, often when you see people you know, going from one size room to a different size room, the thing that they have to adjust to the most is the the nature of the performance yeah like the energy of it like the and it's sometimes why it's not much use to try material that you're going to do in a big room in a small room yeah sometimes it'll work really well in the small room and you try to put it on stage in the big room and it doesn't translate because also you look insane like if you're like trying to sell uh like because i kind of i came up um i was very lucky that i kind of started like the sydney comedy store which is like a 300 seat room and so i kind of learned how to do comedy properly there but then it, it kind of to my detriment for the years after that because i'd be like doing 
you know, open mic rooms and just trying to sell jokes to 40 people as if there were three or 400. Just like, he, Reese needs to stop screeching at yeah. people and, and saying, can't as much. Um, but, uh, but yeah, but the, the crazy thing about the, the Tina Arena, the, the state theatre was like, at, say somewhere like the corner, it's GA, people are coming, it's general admission, people are coming early to make sure they're at the front. State theatre, you in a theatre, you don't go to the, no one, no one goes to watch the support act. And they probably looked it up and was like, Reese Nicholson, who's that singer-songwriter I've never heard of? They're probably, probably going to just do covers. And then, uh, so I'm like talking about my hatred of the Liberal Party at the time <laughs> as like essentially just 100% Liberal voters. They're just streaming in for 35 minutes. And I later found out that Dutton and, Peter Dutton and Julie Bishop were in the box. And I had done about 20 minutes about Abbott was in power at the time. It was all, anyways. I can't imagine that they were listening too much to the Sport Act either. No. I wouldn't have thought. No. But it is a very American tradition, that is. The, yeah. the stand-up comedian very before Vegas-y. the... Yeah, very. So, um, the Conan O'Brien experience, what was what was that like? Like, were you nervous, you know, about doing a show with someone who was like... Are you a person who was a big Conan O'Brien yeah. fan? Huge. And like... Uh, and it's weird because the, the look is a coincidence, but like lots of people have put like, cause I've got like big quiffed red hair and stuff, but it is not because of him. But mm. I think I dress up a little bit because of like the, his kind of style of the Letterman and him and, you know, the kind of trickle down of that type of tonight show host is why I like dressing up for comedy because it's like, it's like a show. Like you, it may, and I, I do, I feel like I do like a bit of like a show businessy kind of thing. Um, I was fine. I was nervous about like that whole gig. I was not nervous about being on stage. I was nervous. It's the only gig I've ever been at where I was nervous off stage. Like, I, I was happy on stage because it meant I wasn't standing backstage with one of the most f- famous and influential people I've ever met in my life. And like, he was just around. Like, he was like a nice guy and just around, and which is terrifying. <laughs> like, there was nowhere to hide because he was kind of just wandering around. And he'd be like, hey, he'd be like, oh my God, jeez. <laughs> Um, because it, well, I was lucky. I, like, I met him very briefly. I'd been doing some wee work in LA the week before and, uh, JP who books his show, who like he does, like he, he comes to, um, Edinburgh Fringe Festival in Montreal and stuff. And so we kind of had met and he's like a, a really nice guy. And he was like, Hey, why, why don't you come? He booked me for Kona show. And he's like, why don't you come for, to watch the taping? And I was like, absolutely. Sure. And then, uh, th- then there was just a moment at the end of the taping where they go in and have a meeting and he was like, Oh, you can after the meeting, you can just like go and meet him if you want. And it was just the strangest, like I hadn't really expected it. And like, I just walked into a dressing room with just Conan standing in there with like a towel in his hand. And he was like, hello. And he's also freakishly tall. Like it is quite an imposing, but also like a really lovely. And yeah, it was just really, it was a bizarre between that and the, the show. It was like a bizarre time. Like, do you know what I mean? Like you, you must have so many of these moments where you're just like, I'm trying to be in this right now, but also I can't stop thinking about how I'm going to be thinking about this after. Like, you know what I mean? Like living, I was like living two days in the future already being like, oh, like, how do I, how do I feel about this right now? Right. Like, yeah. Uh, So I I am interested in that because where are you at? Like comedically, do you think, like, I mean, we're, we're, we're having this conversation. I'm in my rose period. Um, no, I don't know. Well, I mean, I'm, but I am interested because uh, we're having this conversation a couple of weeks out from the Melbourne Comedy Festival. Yeah. You're doing a new show? Yeah. So have you done it already? Yeah, I just, this morning I got back from, I was in Brisbane Comedy Festival kind of, and I used Brisbane to like kind of, well, like 
whack it into shape. So I guess that's so. What I'm asking is, uh, when you were doing the Conan spot. You know, here's a bit of greatest hits. Here's a bit of my favorite material. I know I can do it in front of this audience yeah. that are going to be kind to it, but they haven't heard it before either. It's yeah. Fantastic. I'm then, not dead th- in the eyes with it yet. Yeah. Like, and, that was important to me. And then you shift to, here's this brand new show that I have to suddenly, you know, get ready for people to present to people. So where's your headspace at? Re-comedy at the moment. Um, probably literally within the last two days because of this show has been uh, like putting it together and I have maybe like the, like yeah, Brisbane, I always feel bad for Brisbane Comedy Festival because it's like, I think it's one of the best ones. Like the venue is really lovely and the staff know what they're doing and blah, blah, blah but no one's show is ready. <laughs> like it's the first one. And so you and like and so everyone I, knows what they're doing but us yeah yeah and so was always, i always think like to brisbane's knowledge every comedian in the country is fucking dog shit like like i remember the like the year that i got well, as long as every comedian yeah but they must have think like but if somebody goes there with like a good polish show yeah like, you're oh, really exposing no. the rest of it yeah i like i remember the year that I, cause I have family in Brisbane as well. And so that's, I always think of them when, so they come and see the show when, and I can't, I try and explain to them like, you know, this is the start, but then also they're still coming to see a show. Right. And then I, I remember thinking the year that I got nominated for the Barry in Melbourne, they must've just been like, the fuck is happening at that festival where the reward, like, cause it was so undercooked. And then Brisbane makes me kind of go, if I have a rough night with the show, I'm like, right, I've got it. And I spend all day fixing it. And then the next night, the next night. So where I am now with this show is. Uh, as of probably last night, I'm like, okay, that's, that's a show. And I'm doing Adelaide next week and I'm going to gag it up a bit more, but it actually, it absolutely works as a show. It's just not where I, exactly where I want it to be. But it, it, if someone was to like, it, I, it's about a three, <laughs> I feel like, do you know what I mean? Like, it, yeah, definitely doesn't read like a four, <laughs> uh, but it uh, like, no one's feeling ripped off. Yeah. Does that make sense? Uh, it's funny because uh, I, I, I haven't done Adelaide or Brisbane for the first time in, you know, 15 plus years this Jeez. year. And um, I've had a few people from those places sort of, you know, contact me, a few people from Brisbane in particular. The uh, mayor. You know, yeah. Well, we've got some audience members going, well, you, where are you? You, you know, <laughs> you're meant to be in Brisbane. And I was like, I am going to come to Brisbane later in the year. And people are like, well, we see you during the festival every year. And I'm like, yeah, this year you're going to see a really good version of the show. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and it's like, it's interesting to me the idea, because I'm not, next year I've decided I'm not going to do the run the way that I usually, I'm maybe not going to write a new show. I'm maybe going to open it in Edinburgh. So it's because it just gives me an extra like four months to work on the show. And so maybe I'll either, if this show goes well, I'll do either a repeat or maybe like a best of show or something. But the idea of touring outside a festival, I've never done that before. And I'm only just now, I think getting to, I'm not quite at the level that I could do it, but just dipping my toe in the idea of not having to have the cocoon of a festival around me to be able to do a show. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, which is, I guess, is that what you're like, you're doing outside of festivals. So it's kind of a different, um, I know, like, it's a different cell. You can kind of, like, do whatever you want, right? You know what I mean? Like, it, it can just be, like, an hour of, like, ah, I'm just going to talk for an hour and we're going to have a great time. Uh, so, what when you go into a show, when you think about, like, the construction of the show, how does that work for you? Sorry, I'm just very interested in your process. Yeah. Having seen you, you know, the end result of your work recently, I'm very interested in where it starts out. How do you put together a show? I, well, because you probably have seen me, the, the, like, the longest, in a weird way, like, out of comedians of your level like you you hosted my raw 
Um, I uh, start these the last few years is whether I've done it where because um, my partner Kyron, my fiance, he directs my shows because uh, he, he, I'm not good at I can write jokes till the cows come home, but I, I'm not good at looking. This is what I've noticed in the last few years. I'm not good at looking at a show and going, this is what the show is. Like, it's almost, uh, I write and write and write, and then I start kind of selling the ideas to Kyron or doing open mics and stuff, and he kind of goes, okay, well, you, you're clearly talking a lot about this, and so I think this might be what the show is. And then we work together on that, and he's kind of, yeah. The moment, like, that he started working on my shows with me, like, he doesn't really touch the writing, but he just shapes it for We literally, like, whiteboard post-its, that type of thing, like, we're trying to catch the Zodiac Killer. Um, and... <laughs> <laughs> We've literally involved string before. Um, but uh, I don't feel like this bit's working, but I, I'm pretty sure we've got to. But uh, we've got to get to Tulsa. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, gay detective. Uh, but the. Yeah, and so. Uh, and then I kind of keep. I've started doing this thing this year where. And last year where I. At Butterfly Club in Melbourne where I like just do shows called Reese Nicholson and a Friend, try new jokes, and I'll usually keep the acts a secret or or like someone like Edo, Ann Edmonds will do it or something. And cheap tickets and the audience knows exactly what they're there for and it's just an hour of me and someone else literally standing on stage with notes and going, is this a thing? And so there's no fault <laughs> on either side. <laughs> and it also just gives you an idea of the shape of a joke. But I've realised, like, I've, the way that I write now, I used to think I had to sit at my laptop and write and write and write. And the more, the older I'm getting, the more I go like, no, I don't, I, I think of a thing and I feel like you kind of maybe do a similar thing. I think of a thing and go, there's something in that. I think of like a punchline or like the shape of a punchline and then just go on stage and open mic and talk for as long as I can and try and be funny. Like try make, make a point to be in a good mood before the gig and like loosen up and like have like one drink maybe or something. And then kind of think of a couple angles and then just go and like do crowd work and just try and work it out and then go home, listen to the recording tighten it up, go the next night, do it again, tighten it up, do it again. And then similar with the, like when putting the show together, similar thing, like Brisbane at the start of the, I always say to my techs at Brisbane, this show is going to be so different, <laughs> like by the end of the show. And it is like by the, by the end of the week, like from Tuesday to Sunday, it's complete. like the, I had a start and an end, but the middle has just moved all around. But I'm, yeah, it's, I'm all about structure now more than, and just adding jokes. I just love jokes. Like I think, I want a show to feel like a conversation, like as in, um, uh, how do I word it? Like as if I've just walked out and gone, oh my God, so did you hear about this thing? And then, so the segues are never like speaking of, blah, blah, blah. It just kind of flows. If I do it so many times that it just kind of comes out of me. And then people, I, I've, I've, one of the best compliments I ever got in a review was, like it, it felt like 20 minutes and it had been like an hour. And that's, that's exactly what I want. I just, I never want people to check their phones or anything because they're like, are we almost done? I just want it to be like, oh, good. We're done. Great. Bye. Sometimes I do do a 40 minute show though. So that might be one. No, I, look, I agree. Like, I mean, I, there used to be this thing in Edinburgh. Like I remember when I first went to Edinburgh, like every show would reference this idea of like the, the 40 minute slump. Yeah. Like that, you know, that somehow that audiences couldn't sustain themselves for an hour and that every comedy show would have a slump around the 40 yeah. minute mark and people literally had material around it. And yeah. I was just like, what the fuck are you talking yeah. about? And if it does exist, you could write around, like, to be honest, usually about the 40 minute mark is when I tell like a bit of a story. Mm. And so it's not as like, 
listen, 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 listen. Because most of my material is very like bang, 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 like trying to like, it's a bit pacey. Yeah. There's um, a lot of jokes. There's a lot. But just like a I, lot of jokes. <laughs> no, I mean, but in the, yeah. a way that like I love, like, because I'm one of those people who loves a lot of jokes, but in, yeah. in the good way, like in the way that you're just like, this is flying along as opposed yeah. to the... I am overwhelmed by the amount of jokes that this person and is then, telling. And I like to, like, they're not like joke jokes. They're just like, just, for, I want, I think every, every sentence should have something in it. Like a little piece of something, like no exposition. I'm not a big exposition, exposition fan. I think like just, uh, just if it sounds, if it's in the rhythm of like, if it's going to make you smile, like every sentence should have something meaty in it. Well, I would uh, like, just from watching it, like, like you said, not joke jokes necessarily, but laugh beats, yeah. right? Like moments where you go, this word is being said for a laugh. Yeah. Like people are meant to laugh yeah. here. And the thing that I was so impressed by with some of the stuff I saw you do was the density of like, there's some jokes where you're so, you are literally, by the time you've got them to the punchline moment, when you're doing that next bit, where ev- you're just doing one word. Yeah. That's, you're meant to laugh at this word. Yeah. And then I'm going to say another word and you're meant to laugh at this word. Yeah. Then I'm going to say another word and you're meant to laugh at this word. Mm. Like you've got three big laughs literally out of three words, <laughs> you know? And to me that is, it like, it kind of blew my mind a little. I was like, just the absolute control and density over, you know, how much you are making people laugh because you've got them to the point where they understand where you can say one word and make them laugh. Oh, thank you very much. This has been, can we finish up now? This is yeah, anyway, nice. that's, uh, that's enough. That's all the time we have. <laughs> I know I wanted to talk about that first because I actually now want to get onto like, you know, the stuff this podcast is really about, but yeah. it was just very impressive to watch. And um, I recommend everybody go and see your show and uh, I'm sure it's going to be amazing. Oh, so, uh, don't come right. in Adelaide. No, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't come. Uh, if don't come a, in Brisbane. If you've got a time machine, don't come. <laughs> don't come Tuesday. Um, uh, so I was meant to, we actually didn't finish this conversation off air, but I, um, I was meant to debut in my new show in, uh, in Hobart mm. and I didn't, um, oh. because, uh, anyway, for a whole bunch of reasons that, uh, I can't go into, but, um, you know, my life's been a bit of a shit show and, yeah. uh, uh, I made a decision. I was like, you know what? The show's not ready. I don't think it'll be fair to show 550 people this show. Um, I hadn't done my previous show in Tassie and I rode the odds of, there'll probably be a couple of people who came over to Victoria to see the other show. Um, I'd rather show 545 people a good show than show 540, 550 people a terrible yeah. show and five of them go, well, at least I saw the new stuff, right? Yeah. So. And do you, do you feel like people, just on that, yeah. do you feel like people come to see the show or they come to see you? That's something that always really fascinates me. Uh, well, I think like if they've seen the previous show and the show's got a different name on the poster, yeah, they deserve yeah. to see a new absolutely. show. Yeah. So we went into it saying, if anyone complains, uh, we will offer them full refund. Yeah. Like, you know, like, you know, we advertised something else and like there was, there was a couple of people who, I don't know if they wanted a refund, but there was certainly a couple of people who contacted to say, saw the show in Victoria and blah, blah, blah. Fine. Yeah. Like I, I made a decision. I was totally. comfortable with the decision, but I've... It was literally because I was just like, well, I can't do this. I can't show this audience the show in the shape that it is in right now, which was kind of a a terrifying thing to have to admit to myself. But I certainly didn't want to be that person who went, you know, 
you all saw something that just was not of the standard yet that I can show it to people. And that type of stuff haunts me more. Like the idea of disappoint, like the reason I do so many new material shows and stuff like that. And I feel like you, like you do those whole shows of like improvised shows is so the idea of people liking my comedy and then coming and just being like, Oh Jesus is like, mortifying to yeah. me. And I feel like I've, like this is my 10th year of doing comedy. It's like after 10 years, if I just started to just <laughs> fizzle and disappear, like it's, yeah, terrifying. So I think you did the right, I would do exactly the same thing as you. Like, yeah. It, but it does, it does now mean that I, like Melbourne will be for the first time in a very long time, ooh. the actual debut of my show. Yeah. Like the first night I walk on in Melbourne to do the show, I never will have told the show before. So that in itself is also terrifying to me. But then I've got, you know, 20 nights to, yeah 20 nights in a row to get it right so. <laughs> and do you do you do the show for the show or do you do it like will you like film it or do you know what i mean like do you like what are you aiming because i feel like i aim for no no discredit to any other cities but like i feel like a lot of comics aim for melbourne do you know what i mean like that's the that's the kind of time so do you, but like, does that excite you? The idea that you're going to be like in your now hometown, like work, you got like, you're working on it. Like it's going to be fun. Or do you? Is no, it, it terrifies me. Terrifies. Well, it terrifies me because, and it, I don't think this is a disrespect to other cities. Like the Melbourne Comedy Festival to me is the world's greatest comedy festival. Yeah. Like the Edinburgh Fringe, Fringe Festival is a, is the world's greatest fringe arts festival, sure. but it is a fringe arts festival. Yes. There is a huge comedy component of that, which is clearly very important, but the comedy is part of a larger fringe arts festival that is going on. It's a large hole full of money. Yep. And it, <laughs> and that money catches on fire when you're over there. And you just go and you shovel your money in yep. and then you go home. You go, I can put I can put out this uh, money fire with some more money. Yes. Oh, Let's no, put, it turns out that doesn't work. I'll try. Oh, okay, I'll put this petrol in and see what happens. Then there's the Montreal Just for Laughs Festival, which is essentially a sales convention with yeah. occasional comedy gigs. Yeah. Right? Great festival as well, but you're doing 10-minute spots, you're doing big galas, you might do a sideshow, but it's not... You know, a yeah, festival. Whereas you've got the Melbourne Festival, which is a specialty comedy festival where like 600 different acts have come up with a show and they put it on for a month and, you know, they do all these sort of things. I think it is the world's greatest comedy festival. I don't Absolutely. think there's an argument against that. So the idea of prioritizing that as being the focus of it, I don't think is a weird thing to do. Yeah. Um, but for me, it's also been. Like, there is no doubt in the world that proportionately Melbourne has been more supportive of my career than anywhere else in the world. Like, mm. you know, the Melbourne Comedy Festival, you know, has clearly been the place where my stuff has been most welcome. So yeah. I always want it to be great for Melbourne. Absolutely. Right. So I, I always used to say I wanted to be great in Melbourne and I wanted to be great in Sydney because I was living in Sydney and I might, <laughs> bu you know, bump into someone at the shops who saw the show. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to be embarrassed. You know, at the bottle shop when the guy's like, I saw the show. You want to be able to go, I know that was a good show. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a very, because um, I now live here in Melbourne. And it, last year was my first year doing it, but like it, we were kind of half moving it. Like it was a whole kerfuffle. Um, but it's so, it's such a different experience. Like, were you living here last year? Uh, half and half. Half and half. Like, I, I feel like this is the first year where I would say, yeah, I'm, I'm, I've been living in Melbourne while I've been doing the festival since I was 25. Fuck. Yeah. Because it's such a different experience where it, it last year felt like less of a holiday and more of like, a, not that, but like, I wasn't going back to a com, I was going back to my house. Yeah. And uh, where, because Sydney, I lived there for like nine years and Sydney was always my shortest run. 
Is this interesting? Sure. Um, but, it's interesting to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Melbourne, Melbourne was my longest run. And so it just, it, like, it's just so weird to be able to, like, I could go home and, like, roast a chicken mm. and feel like I was at home. Like, it's, it's changed. It's flipped. And by festival. roast a chicken, you mean, like, a, like a celebrity guys. roast? Yeah, yeah. Oh, no. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Fuck you, chicken. Yeah. All oh, right. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah. We'll go either yeah. of those. Whatever yeah. sounds more legal. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That. No, your one. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but. Yeah, to be able to like live during Melbourne Comedy Festival and not be in Melbourne Comedy Festival right. is very strange. Okay, let's talk about other things. All right. Um, that was fun though. I, I, I enjoyed that chat. I wanted to talk to you about comedy. Um, all right. So uh, normally I ask if people have a philosophy. Do you have mm. a philosophy towards something? I've thought about this. I listened to this podcast and I, and I really, I won't say that I agonized over it, but I, it's like, because I really, I feel like I'm not someone that really always thinks that way. And so I really thought, and I think the closest I've come to something that kind of makes sense is um, uh, something along the lines of uh, everyone should always have a good time. As in, and I feel like that, I, 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 like I, I talked to Kyra and my partner about this, because <laughs> I always kind of think like a few different things, but he, the way that he worded it to me was like, if you're trying to think about this, because half of this podcast and half just for my own mental state, I was like, maybe I should work out what I'm trying to do with my life. Um, I feel like uh, he was like worded it this way. He's like, "What makes you angry, and what do you do that you don't necessarily want to do, but you feel like it's the right thing to do?" And I said, "Pay tax," um, <laughs> as as a joke. But like, but he said, "Well, that's kind of it." Like, yeah. um, I I've what really infuriates me about people is, uh, like, I'm a narcissist, but I also. Um, and probably what could be confused as like uh, being two-faced at times, but I never feel people that are just rude, like as in social situation, like the, uh, the, we all know certain comics that could be described as like climbers or something, but I, I never, I like, I'm always, I always try and like talk to bar staff when I arrive places. And like, I just, I always feel like it's not even like a be kind to one another type of bullshit. It's more just, I just want, I feel like, why would you try and make someone's day worse? when you could just so easily not do that. Does that make sense? Yeah, I feel absolutely. Like that's how I live most of my, and like my career and my comedy and all that kind of stuff is how I try and. Something that comes up a lot on this podcast, to be honest, is that idea of like not being someone else's worst day at work, you know? Yeah. Like, and perhaps, you know, in some way you could make that person's day at work a nicer thing yeah. than what it was. But also like you joke about the tax thing, but what you're really talking about there is that you are seeing yourself as more than just an individual. Yeah. You don't like paying tax, but at the same time, you understand that you have a social obligation and that yeah. the world isn't just about you. Yeah. You know, the world is about, you know, all the other people in the world as well. And those people who then refuse that social obligation, you know, the you know, super rich who hide their, you know, profits in Panama and don't like, you know pay their tax. Yeah. They're the ones who mean that there's going to be a pothole in the highway or the hospital system doesn't work as well as it is. And they're also the ones that are, you know, when climate change takes over, they're going to be the ones in rockets. Like, you know, like it's just that kind of thing of it's, I, I, I'm careful not to say this type of stuff in like, kind of like, and I also, one of my big fears is just sounding like a wank, but, um, yeah, just knowing that like, we're all in this together on somewhere and I can't like, and I never want to use this too much, but like I come from like, my parents were like very broke and like, so even like, even down to like the paying tax thing, like I am an example of the system working at times. Like, you know, I was, my parents were very poor, but we were never aware of that because they were very good at kind of keeping us happy and like together and stuff. And I think that's a very, like my parents 
must have gone without so much. So my sister and I went, had good school uniforms and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I'm just aware of that. Uh, just not wanting to basically just not wanting to be a dick. Like I, I, I think I'm saying to someone this recently that, uh, if ever I was to become like a, like a well, like a very well-known person or whatever one is like, say with like meeting Conan, when he walked out of the room, I remember thinking like, well, that's a really nice guy. That's all I want. Like as in, instead of, we've all met famous people who, or you know, successful people who leave the room and you're like, well, that was needlessly awful. Like, <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like there's just, it's so easy just to be like, and it, it could be in some ways uh, two-faced. Like I'm, I've been nice to people's faces that mm. I'm like, oh, I hate you so much. But we're all having a fine time then and they don't need to know because I don't know what's going on in their day either. Maybe they're being awful because they're having a fuck time. And so by me calling them out, I don't know. It's just, I, it's all, I just, I feel like this probably comes up on this podcast a lot as well, but I just want to be lined. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of the time, people aren't that honest, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so, well, talk to me about that then. Like, who is it important to you that likes you? Like, you know, when you say, I want to be liked, like, is it important that strangers like you? Is it important that your colleagues like you? Is it important that, you know, like, who who do you want to be liked by? Or is it a, you want to it's, be liked by everybody? It's, I mean, I guess not because you are not. I don't yeah. want to break this oh, to you. Oh yeah, but no. neither is anybody. I bet some people have some. There's words some Tina Arena say. fans. Oh, who still... you ruined! <laughs> I'd like to put you in chains. Um, bury me down at the, under the Sorrento moon. Um, uh, and other Tina Arena songs. Can anyone name any more? Um, uh, it, I feel like at this time in my life, probably colleagues, I guess, mm. the most, because they're the people I'm spending most of my time <laughs> with. Uh, but uh, weird, I was thinking about this a lot lately, that um, I think the one people, the one people, look at me with my word, the one group of people that I think I don't worry about it as much, and I think I should, is like my family. Like, I, I think I spend a lot of my time, not a lot of my time, but like trying to be nice and have my colleagues really like me, but then around Christmas time, I'm still just really... You know, you those moments where you think like, oh, why did I say that to my mum? Like just the, you really should, cause they're the one group of people in your life that you feel like, well, they can't leave me and they can't shut me out. <laughs> they can. Yeah. Uh, it happens to plenty of people. Um, and just take, I, I'm trying, I feel like I'm like, I'm 28, I'm about to be 29. And I, I feel like this is the age where you stop trying to take your family for granted. Maybe. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like just kind of going like, oh, I don't need to be. If I'm in a bad mood, I can kind of, if I'm putting it on for strangers in a cafe, I can put it on for you guys too. Or I can just to know that every interaction I have with my family is not like me looking at my phone and like checking numbers on things and stuff. It's like being a bit more present. How is that when it comes, because the other person who can often suffer from that is your immediate loved one. Yeah. Like that's, yeah, yeah. You know, the, the great. And I, Kyron. No. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you keep bringing up this Kyron. It doesn't feel like a woman's name, and I'm uncomfortable with it. No. So, you haven't got any other revelations for this podcast? Well, have you? Uh, it, no, because I, I, I'm 
fascinated by the idea that, I mean, because how long have you guys been together for? This will be eight years. Yeah. So like a really, like, I mean, the majority of your sort of mostly adult life, you know, yeah. you've been together. Yeah. And I mean, you've lived through a period where like, you know, I mean, obviously you guys now can get married in this country finally, but you know, a considerable period of that time, you were still a relationship that was, you know. Yeah. Tolerated by general society. Yeah, we but, were de facto. Yeah, de facto. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was all we were. That was all, oh, you guys are de facto. Just yeah, two cool, real cool. good friends. Yeah, yeah. Housemates. <laughs> yeah. Now, do you feel like, the, like, I mean, because obviously you both work and live around the arts and yeah. it's a very different world to, you know, general society when it comes to, you know, the, the broad acceptance of different people. But have you felt like there's been a perceptible sort of change in Australia since the vote or has it made any difference? Is it business as usual? Um, I reckon there is, yeah. Like, I wasn't expecting it to be, I've always thought of myself to be, like, very kind of cynical and stuff, but then around that stuff, like, the day that it got announced, and we, I remember, like, Karen and I went into the city to, like, watch the big announcement and everything, I didn't realise how worked up I had become about it, and, like, because we were engaged by this point, and... Uh, when they said yes... Which is why you voted no, right? Yeah, yeah exactly, were, like... yeah, yeah. Well, I used to say on stage uh, <laughs> I voted no, uh, just because weddings, turns out, are very expensive. Uh, especially gay ones, lots of doves. But the, um, you got to feel for the homophobic dove wranglers. Where are they going to get the work now? Um, which never gets as much of a laugh as I want. Uh, but, um, uh, but, yeah, I didn't realise, like, and when they said yes... I remember thinking on the way in, and this is an awful thought, but we were like on the train on the way in and uh, I was like, oh, if if they say yes, it's going to be great. But like, everyone's going to be kissing. And like, I was a little bit kind of like, oh, it's going to be such like a love in. And that's just not where I usually sit comfortably. But when they announced yes, came out through this shitty speaker, I like grabbed Kyron. (laughs) And like, and like, it was just so strangely like a release and this like overwhelming thing. And the walk that particular day, the, the whole, we spent most of our day like in the city was like, I don't know how to word it. It was like, it was like we were living on a gay planet because it, it, the, everyone was aware of what had happened. And, uh, I saw so many like teenage couples, like gay couples or queer couples, like holding hands and like, like shopkeepers, like looking at us, like looking in the stores, like kind of smiled and like yeah. nodded at us and stuff. It was like this weird, yeah. it was very strange. It was like the Olympics was in town or yeah, something. Yeah. Yeah. They were like, most of them would just be like, well, I heard about what happened to you guys today. Well done for that. Congratulations. Um, uh, and yeah, like it was just the, especially, yeah, around, around kind of Brunswick as well, as well, just like the, the, the asymmetrical haircuts were out in force. Um, but then I feel like the week after there was just this kind of high for about a week and then it did dip. I mean, I wrote about it in a show last year, but like I got like shouted out on a train about it and like people had turned in, it went, when everything, when the good people settled down, the crazy people started to ramp up and like, right, this is our time. And you know, there's still, um, it's still great. There is a visual change. There's a visible change in this country since that's happened. But there's still, I think it's now it's easy to pick out like the problems. Like you can still now easily go like when, when Andrew Bolt goes off on a rant about something or you can kind of go like, oh, you've got clear supporters now because they've got something to rage against. 
Like it's given the crazy people a thing to be like, well, and any kind of small crazy thing that happened, any kind of, you know, whether it be something to do with safe schools or something like, well, we knew that this was going to happen. It's like, what? Nothing's happened. <laughs> Does that make sense? Like yeah. just, it's given, it's given the, yeah, it's given the, the bigots a, I mean, it's, it was the arguments throughout the whole plebiscite that by giving, what was it? Like seven and a half million to each side of the camp. You you are giving seven and a half billion dollars to what in any other context is hate speech. Like saying to a group of people, and I know this is kind of an obvious thing to say, but saying to a group of people, Oh, you are not allowed this thing, like not even trying to hide it. It was just fascinating to me at the time. I remember I was think I was in the UK when that all was coming out and I was just like, What's happening over there? Um yeah, I found that all very fascinating. That just Well again, like if 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 this is I like talking to you about this because like it's not something necessarily that you've like necessarily always talked about. Mm. Um, I managed to say necessarily twice then, <laughs> really quickly. I think one of those necessarilys was unnecessary, but um, not necessarily. <laughs> I've, I've only drunk coffee today. I haven't had any food, and I feel like that adrenaline rush before from losing my bag. It's really starting to bash now, me when around you say the head. Bag, yeah. <laughs> it's a really expensive bag. Yeah, yeah. Um, I like. So having the life experience that I have lived, you know, being, you know, now a 45 year old, you know, white, you know, straight, Australian man. Yeah. But you're good things too. Yeah. Well, (laughs) but, but no, but that's kind of, the point is that I literally have lived the life or at least benefited from the life of wandering through the world aware of all these things. I think I'm a person who's Absolutely. shown that I am, uh, you know, have an awareness and, and an empathy, but I've never had to live them as a day-to-day part of my existence. Mm. It just, I mean, you know, don't get me wrong. It feels like we're coming towards a period where white men are going to be as hated <laughs> as other aspects of society. <laughs> feels like I might get to. <laughs> we're going to ban all white marriage. Yeah. <laughs> no more white marriage. Unless you're gay, then you're allowed to do it. <laughs> be great if we had another vote yeah <laughs> Look, this has worked out so well we've got another suggestion the greatest of that vote would just be like straight white people like voters like well i guess i gotta vote yeah. just to be woke. i mean to be woke yeah cool. i'm as woke as the next yeah. guy um living the experience versus like having an awareness of the experience i'm very conscious of uh do <laughs> You seem like a person who is now very confident, but were mm. you always, did you always have this confidence with you? Like, were you always so comfortable with who you are, both like, you know, sort of publicly, but also just as a, as a person in general? I think mo- mostly like in, like, I, I'm very lucky as well that I didn't have too many gay struggles. My struggles were all based on... <laughs> other annoying parts of my personality. Um, uh, but yeah, like I never, I've never, I'm trying to think of, ever, like I did not struggle with my sexuality. I, both my parents are artists and I went to a performing arts school. I lived in Newcastle, so I got called faggot a lot, but it, when I, I, I drank the Kool-Aid of going home and my mum saying, well, you've just got to be yourself. Like I, I'm one of those, I think few people that was like, okay, like, and I don't know why, probably just because I wasn't thinking about the other circumstances of what could happen if I didn't. But like, I, and you know, not to say, you know, I've been like 
punched in the face in a car park before and like in Newcastle, like that kind of stuff. But I feel like I never, just through blind confidence, I never stressed about my sexuality. I've stressed about other things. I've stressed about like my looks and my weight and all that kind of like stuff that is attached to the queer community and the expectations when I moved to Sydney and blah, blah, blah. But that was more, that was like anxiety. But I've never, I've been very lucky. I think that when people, I'm always very careful to talk about uh, like queer because I, yeah, I didn't have a, a tough time in at home. I wasn't like when I, when I told my parents that, Oh no, my parents found out that I was gay. Well, bisexual at the time um, that uh, by finding like porn and on like search history it was before I knew that I could uh, delete history, but I didn't know that you had to delete like, uh, you know, like in Google where like you type in a letter and it, uh, and sort of a predictive text yeah. style situation. Pre- predictive yeah. is the emphasis on the dick. Uh, yeah. the, um, <laughs> the, there was like, I, my mum genuinely asked me what a, what a twink was. So that's, that's disappointing, having to expose. Like, oh. Reese, I was trying to uh, <laughs> Google the lyrics to Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. And <laughs> just What does it mean if a twink is full? Yeah. What does that mean? How do you, f- how do you feel like, is, what is it, a, like a trying to drink? What is it? Um, but, uh, but they were like, my, what, what happened was my mum like, was, was a teacher and dad worked from home and I came home from school and my dad said, oh, your mother, this is, and dad doesn't know how to use computers at all. And he said, your mother found some sort of searches on the computer. So we're going to have to talk about that when you get home. And then he went like down to the garage and then there was another two hours till my mom got home. So I was just in my house, just like, oh, and not, no. And I kind of figured like from when I was 11, my mum, I remember my mum saying explicitly to me, you know, if ever you were gay, like there, there was a gay couple on TV. It was like, if ever you were gay, we'd be absolutely fine. Like they, they knew. knew. They knew. Everyone, like I was yeah. possibly the last person to know. Um, uh, sorry to all my girlfriends. Um, uh, okay. really disappointed. They, they knew too. Yeah. I was a safe option. Um, they were making their own choices. Like there was a point at the end of high school where a lot of the people that I sat with were kind of girls that I had dated at yeah. some point and were like, well, we're all a club now. We can, we all have a shared experience. We've all not seen my dick very much. Um, but, uh, but yeah, and, but it's, so I never really had a struggle with, I've always been very confident with that type of stuff. And I've always been quite, uh, you know, put on fucking plays when I was a kid and stuff. And I did a lot of like community theater and all that kind of stuff. I've never been not sure of my own, like, oh, I can probably do that. But it's more, I think later, later on, I got a little bit more kind of like, Ugh. Ugh, maybe I'm not good for this and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So talk to me about the stuff then that did worry you because you touched on it a little bit and I know that you've spoken about it a little bit in yeah. you know shows and stuff as well previously but what was it that was worrying you about you not being good enough or you not fitting in what were the th- you know, the issues that you were having well I think it was I've thought about this a bit lately um just because like I wrote a show about it a couple of years ago and it, it, in retrospect have you ever done like a show about something or you like done a joke about something and you're like well this is I'm fine with this and I'm going to talk about it and blah, blah blah and then years later you're like Oh, you were not no. ready to talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> and you were uh, partly in the middle of it, I think. Yeah. No, um, I, did a, I did a show in Adelaide in about 2000 and 
seven, 2006, maybe about a relationship breakup that I still have people saying, that, that, oh, you shouldn't have been doing that. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, no. Nope. very real. Yeah, us. it was, yeah. Like even this week in Brisbane, a lady in my merch line was like, oh, I, I like really enjoyed your show last year, but I, oh, I have to say like uh, the year before last, you did the show about, about um, you having an eating disorder. And I was like, oh yeah. She went, I just got to say, it was very funny, but also I just wanted to hug you the whole time. And then we got into a conversation where I was like, yeah, I've been thinking about that. I shouldn't have done that show because it did have that reaction. People were like, he's not processed this. Um, but I think I've been thinking about it a lot and I think it's because I, I'd been, and I'm not blaming this on the, um, I was kind of chubby and then lost a little bit of weight and then got automatically more popular and, uh, like just people stopped. Cause I, I was always trying to be funny, but which just was kind of too, I think my references were always kind of off as well. Like, because I, my parents are kind of people where we weren't sent away. If there was a dinner party on, my sister and I were allowed to kind of stay and hang, keep, stay quiet. But so a lot of my references growing up were a bit more like, I watched the Rocky Horror when I was eight and like stuff like that. And I'm not saying like I was, I was growing up. I wasn't, <laughs> but I just, I wa- I didn't want to watch things like I was watching Daria. I was I didn't want to watch things like you know I don't know whatever like Magic School Bus or whatever. Um, but I didn't quite understand it. But uh, so when uh, I I had all my references off, but then when everyone kind of when my references kind of cleared up a little bit and I lost a bit of weight, I just suddenly was more popular and accepted by people. And then I just got it just kind of and I'm I'm careful these days not to say like. I was very lucky that I got out of it. There was about a year and a half, almost two years where I was like throwing up and not eating, but I was not luckily to the point where I needed to be hospitalized or anything like that, where people now tell me stories after shows or send me messages and I, I not to minimize my own thing, but like I suddenly just go like, oh, I was so lucky. Um, and I also kind of, I don't really know how I got out of it either. Like, I think I just remember looking, I think I saw a photo of myself that I remember thinking like, you look great. And then I looked at it maybe like a, a few months after was like, oh, you look like you have like a debilitating blood disorder. <laughs> like I just didn't look well. And I just kind of started to just slowly kind of eke myself out of it. And, um, yeah, it's like a weird, it's so weird to look back on it. Cause it just doesn't seem like me. Do you know what I mean? Like it doesn't, um, it's like I've, I've competed before to like, like drug abuse where the first time someone does meth, they're probably not like, well, this is going to be for a long time. They're just more kind of like, well, this is going to help me now. And then it just keeps, and then it just becomes a part of your life until something happens where you're like, okay, I need to get my life together and stop doing this because I, yeah, I just looked, um, and also like, you know, I, I moved to Sydney and started going to like gay bars and I'd been the big gay fish in a small town and suddenly I, <laughs> <laughs> and suddenly I was like going to places like there's a place in Sydney on Oxford street that's not there anymore called Nevermind. And it was like a doof doof, like, you know, I'm doing like Coke for the first time and like taking pills and just like, I, I essentially just lost a year. <laughs> So just but like not you know not crazy crazy but I uh, just was out every weekend and weeknights if I could and worked a day job and then did comedy at night sometimes and then would go out and yeah just uh, and I'm not I'm not trying to dramatize this as well very much like I wasn't you know I wasn't like crazy but I just think about it now and go oh 
I, it's almost like I needed to get, get something out of my system because I'd gone, I went straight into comedy. I finished school and moved to Sydney, like saved up a few grand and moved to Sydney as soon as I could. And so I didn't really have like uni days. I didn't really have like, and so I just wasn't built for doing this yet and was. You were having a gap year. Yeah. Yeah. So, unfortunately, so were my organs. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and it just uh, I'm I'm so lucky and like because it, it kind of stopped not long before I met Kyron as well, and so he and I when Kyron and I first started dating, I was looking back on it now, yeah, just like not well, like just uh, I was the kind of comedy I was doing at the time, like I was so new and I was really aggressive and like I'm thinking like bits. I found a set list for my first show recently, and I'm like I don't stand by, not even the thought process in this, like just raging. I was like 20 and just screaming at no one. Like I was just so angry and I don't really understand why. Well, but that's a lot of, sometimes that's just about being 20 as well. Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, you'll see a lot of people who are 20, myself included, although, oh, I wasn't doing comedy. I was probably just screaming at, (laughs) screaming at people in my real life. But, (laughs) but you know, that, that of course you're angry at the world or you think that you should be angry at the world. And it's probably a combination of, of both of those things. And so, um, I'm always interested in someone who starts comedy young because I think it's, I mean, there's been some of the all-time great comedians have started at young, but it's, I started when I was 22 and I, that even feels young to me in mm. re, in retrospect. You know, mm. I feel like I had lived so little of my life to have anything interesting to talk about at that stage. But what made you think at age, what were you, 17, 18 when you yeah. started doing comedy? I was like, I did my first ever gig when I was like 16 at like right. a, someone like snuck me into a pub and I did a very bad, um, five minutes. I remember thinking the next time someone sneaks you into a pub, don't do material about school. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'd really like, I re- I can't remember what the joke was, but it was really like, I was, it was the setup was I was at school recently. Yeah. Um, but I would say there's never been, and it's kind of now annoying but I, there's never been anything that I clearly wanted to do other than comedy. Like right. as in, other than, you know, when I was little, little and people were like, oh, I want to be like a farm or whatever. Um, I did want to be a drag queen for a while, but I don't think I quite understood what a drag queen was. I just remember like earlier, like I was saying, my reference wrote, I saw Priscilla very early in life. I think my mum fast forwarded through the ping pong bits. But I just remember thinking like, oh, a drag, like saying to mum, like, what is that? And she was like, oh, that's a drag queen. And a drag queen to me was like, oh, they can be like anything they want that sounds amazing. And so I, I remember there's some story in my family where I was at a dinner party and someone said like, and what do you want to be when you grow up? And I was like six and I was like a drag queen and everyone just kind of froze. Um, but I wanted to do it as soon as like, I, I kind of clocked off in the last two years of school. Cause I was like, well, I'm just going to move to Sydney and become like that weird confidence that I had of like, well, I'm just going to go and try that and do that. I mean, the way you present yourself, though, is still, like, it does not surprise me to hear that story because you have a way of presenting yourself publicly, you know, like Mm. in a a fashion sense, in the way that you groom yourself that has a, you know, larger than life stylistic element to it. So that clearly has continued. Have you been conscious that you are, is that just the way you are or have you consciously kind of cultivated, you know, a look that you, you know, present to the world? Like, where does that come from? A bit of both. The look developed over the first couple of years. Like I first moved to Sydney and I think my, maybe my hair, I started dyeing my hair maybe. Um, 
but it didn't, I didn't think I was going to do it for 10 years. Uh, but it just, it, it turned into like, I had shitty skin. So I started wearing makeup and then also like kind of was like, oh, that's like an, it looks kind of interesting. Like I didn't want to, I, I remember I never learned how to do like makeup, makeup. I wanted to look like I had makeup on. Um, like, yeah, no, I didn't want it to look natural. I wanted to look a bit kind of mannequin-y. And then as I got, made a little tiny bit more money, started like saved up and bought a blazer and stuff like that. Like, I've always, want, I always wanted to be like show businessy. And also, you know, I started at the comedy store. There's like 12 acts on a bill. And then a lot of them were like guys in plaid shirts. So I, I, I just remember thinking like, oh, if I can, even if you don't remember my name, if you remember me as the one with bright red hair, makeup and a blazer on, then I've done half my job. Do you know what I mean? Like it, it just, it was a, and it feels kind of weird to word it that way, but it was a, early on, it was kind of a bit of a choice, but I have always, I've always loved style and like, um, and I think my act kind of borrows from that kind of era of, um, yeah, kind of show businessy folks kind of thing. But also I'm, you know, talking about, I'm saying like, you know, fuckhead and stuff. Like I, I love, I, I think my voice doesn't match my look and I really love that, that I have a bit of like a screechy bogan accent at times. But when I first walk out, I look like I'm going to sound like Errol Flynn. <laughs> and, but then when I start talking, it's like, oh God. Um, yeah. And, and so I just like playing with kind of forms. Like it is almost drag in a weird way. Like I, I, I wear these days, like I contour my face and I, um, I, it's, there's a character I've even, I've started talking on stage recently. Like I'm not like coming out about anything, but like I started to think a lot about gender lately and just, I don't think it's, you know, if people want to sit one way or the other, but I've just been kind of saying, I, I don't really, it's not that I don't identify as either of those things. I just don't, I've stopped thinking that way. Like I'm not, I'm not trans or anything, but I just, um, I think the more that I think about it, the more I just go like, Oh you can just, I can just do whatever I want. If I want to wear a full face of makeup, it doesn't matter. Like that's not, does that doesn't, doesn't make me masculine or feminine. It's just paint on my face. And if I want to paint my nails, it's just because there's paint on my nails. So you're about to turn 30 Well, coming up towards turning yeah. 30. Um, as someone who started quite young doing this as a job, like 30 can be, it's funny because you, you, you laugh now when you're an older person like myself where like, you know, there'll be you know a series of comedians who are about to turn 30 having crises on stage yeah. about the idea no, of I'm turning gonna... 30. But, the, but I get it. 30 feels, it, it feels like a big deal. Does it feel like a big deal to you? Well, so I'm going to be, my, there's parts of my show this year because I'm going to be 29 is in next month. The show is that there's parts of the show that are almost about how 29 is a stupid age because it's not 30. And, but it has like the, this kind of chutzpah about it. Like people are still telling me I need to like be responsible about things, but I don't have, I can't say, well, I'm 30 now. It's just like, well, I'm 29. Like I've got, I've, if anything, I've got to wait another year to be, feel responsible. Yeah. But people are saying, get your shit together. Yeah. Cause by the time you turn 30. Yeah. You better have <laughs> yeah. it all. Pla- you, if anything, you've got an extra year. It's like, what, what do you mean? We've um, given you the warning. You don't come to me when you're 30 and say you've got no shit sorted out. We yeah. started bugging you before you even turned 29. And I even, I've, it's, a, it's a weird point where, <clears throat> sorry, um, I feel like because I started, the reason, part of the reason I'm not doing a full season next year, I think, is because every year for 
eight, almost nine years I've done a show and I've done, I've had almost the same year every year. Um, and I kind of feel like I need to have, like, it's not time off. I'm going to be working, but I want to work on something else that isn't, uh, like just the same stand up show. Like I'm going to be in the same places every time because I've been doing it since I was 18 and I haven't really had like, I've never traveled for not comedy reasons. I've never been anywhere that was more than an hour away from where I'm doing a show or like, I don't know. And it sounds like, you know, I've just, I've realized I'm not, um, you know, I'm not like sisterhood of the traveling pants it or anything, but, um, just, uh, uh, I'm, I just need to, (laughs) I I believe that is the first time sisterhood of the traveling pants has been referenced on this podcast. Yeah, good. I will say that. And it's good. I like to bring firsts. No, but Um, here's what I I like about that is that that's getting off that treadmill has been something that I've found incredibly difficult to do in my life. You know, like. This comedy festival would be my 23rd in a row at Melbourne. And I think increasingly like about like, you know, the last few months of me trying to get it together for this year have been like from the minute I wake up until the minute I go to bed, I am haunted by the idea of getting the show right. And whether I'm willing to give up every single year, you know, yeah, all those months of like my like emotional attention but also that everybody else in my life has to give up all those yeah. months of my emotional intention Absolutely. because I'm, if I'm putting it into that, I'm taking it away from some other aspect of my life. So the capacity to step away from that and to recognize that there might be something creative and you know, an opportunity to learn something about yourself in stepping away is, I think, a really brave and interesting thing to do. It's and quite in- terrifying. Okay, well, good. I hope it is that as oh, well. Well, I've got a mortgage. for the. I've also got a mortgage for the first time, and I'm choosing now to... Because the, <laughs> the main thing, oh, I'll just give up whatever pays it. Um, it, it also... Uh, I think the main argument that Karen and I have ever had, we'd, we're not an arguing couple, but... Uh, is hol- like we don't go on hol- like because I I have always for for the last few years also because I grew up with not much money I'm very like I everything and I hate that I do it but everything relates back to money for me the reason I work a lot is because like my we my agent and I have a joke where I send her I copy and paste I love money like just to her in to reply to her. like I'm a yes man when it comes to things. But I, I say yes to things and then a month later I'm like standing backstage at like in a shitty gig that I said yes to. It was like, was this worth the $200 to do this? Because this is my one night in town and Karen is at home with the dog. And this is where I kind of consider the main argument is where I think I'm 28. This is go time. Like if I, if I get off the treadmill now what if I can't get back on the treadmill or what if I, what, you know, if I miss out on, but I'm trying to get better at, you know, I've, I've had a couple weird little things happen in the last couple of years where like I'd gotten offered a spot on a large reality show and I said yes. And because it was bananas money and also it was going to like help my career. And then two weeks before I was meant to go to said reality show, I got bumped and, uh, I, we had canceled festivals. We had like all this kind of stuff and I was furious. And also I couldn't, like no one knew. So I couldn't, I was just in a bad mood for two months. But because of that, I went over the UK and, UK and filmed a special for the BBC. And like that is, will be in the long term has gotten me a lot more work over there. And like, it's just trusting not the money right now thing 
because then I was also offered a spot in the same thing. And I said no to them this year. And because of that, I got the Conan thing. And like, it's just trust, trying to trust a little bit more that it's not just, we don't need just money now. It's a long, this is a long game and it's not go time all the time. And if I was, I think it's in the last few months, I've just had a bit of a, um, just if, if I was like, if, if I'm away so much, cause I'm away about four months of the year minimum these days. And so that means at least two months is away from Kyron and we've just bought a, <laughs> I'm not crying by the way. I'm just coughing. Um, Felt like you're about to cry. Yeah. <laughs> Felt like you're about to cry to me. <laughs> oh, really? Did I was you? like, there goes the money shot. Come on. Come on. I can cry if you want. Um, uh, I'll do it. Um, I, I was probably pretty close. Actually. Um, I'm close. Uh, if, I, I feel like... <laughs> Sorry, you said money shot. Um, I, I can't... I don't want... To, like, it's, it's deciding what I want to do now. Like... So what, what is that? Like, that's what's interesting to me. Like, what is it that you would like to do? I, I ran into um, uh, Luke McGregor at the airport yesterday, the day before, and uh, we were just having a chat about his TV show, Rosehaven, and uh, he asked me just out of the blue in that great way that Luke has of asking mm-hmm. you a disarming question. You yeah. know, like he'll often ask you something that people... So are you happy? Or... Yeah. <laughs> and he asked me about, like, you know if I'd ever considered writing anything narrative myself. And we ended up having this discussion about one of the things that haunts me in my career a little is that I've never done a comedy project. All right. Like, I'll work on something with you now. <laughs> so, but I've literally made my career in comedy yeah, and never done a fully comedy project, right? Like I've done radio that has had some comedic elements. I've done some TV shows that have used comedy as part of, the, the broader thing of what they are. Like but, you are the vehicle. Yes. But none of them has specifically been like, here's a comedy show. You could never, if you were putting something that I'd done up for an awards night, it would never go under the title comedy because I've never actually in my entire career of doing comedy yeah, right. made something that was meant to be a comedy. Yeah. Like, you know, that was meant to be fully about it being a comedy. And I wonder whether I will look back on my career, particularly as someone who wrote a comedy show every year. Yeah. Like, and look back on my career and go, oh, was it a, a waste of my life? Or will I regret the idea that I never wrote something that was specifically just mm. a comedy? Now, I'm not sure what that is. I don't have, part of the reason that I haven't done it is that I haven't had that sort of burning desire or yeah. idea or whatever to go and do that. But having that conversation with him, I did start to think, well, maybe, because it would need me to get off the treadmill. Yes. Like it would need me to say, I am not going to do the festival circuit next year so I can go away and write that movie or write that TV show yeah. or, 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 you know, write a book or whatever it may be that, that it would be. But so I'm interested in you. Like, what are you thinking? What are you, well, I don't, what are you thinking that might be? Do I, you have an idea? I, I mean, I've got a few ideas, but they're not like, basically I've said, I said to my agent about three months ago, I don't think I want to do the festival, the way that we've done it. Like I will, it's, but it's basically it's four months off from, it just gives me an extra four months to put a show together for Edinburgh. And she's like, okay, what do you want to do? And I was like, I will get back to you. <laughs> like, because that's all I knew. Like, I think I've just never, um, I'm, I'm kind of the same. I've never, when I was a teenager, I thought like, I want to like the, the Reese show and stuff. But the more I do it now, the more I'm like, that sounds like so much like work. And also one of my favorite things I've been doing lately is I've, been getting a little bit of work doing like workshops on other people's TV shows, 
where, which is not necessarily what I want to do, but working with other, I haven't worked with other people before. I've always, it's always like, or Karen and I've worked together, but it's always been a thing for me. Um, I've really enjoyed like pitching in and just trying to sit into it, which is, I realized, I remember like, this is what I love doing the most, sitting in a room with people and just trying to make each other laugh hysterically while someone frantically writes it down. Like I've never collaborated before. I think the reason I love stand up, and you might be the same, is because you you can fix it. Every like it's not the idea of a book mortifies me because when it's, when you give that to someone, it's done and then it's gone. Whereas even like I I've, I've filmed a special a couple of years ago, and I, the editing process of that was haunting. Like just going like oh because we filmed it and then I did Edinburgh after that. And I was just remember thinking like the show is just a thousand times better now. Why didn't we film it then? And like, I'm I'm a I'm a fiddler. I like like my show will it never changes very much, but from the start to the end of its right of its life, it will accordion time wise and like it it changes so much. Whereas I just uh, so I think the fear is whatever I'm doing, I will it will not I'll I'll get off the treadmill and I won't be happy. But um, but we'll see. <laughs> I think I would, I like the idea of writing a book if it was something like, the the problem is I haven't done anything else. This is the fear. And the only thing, way I can do something else is by getting off the treadmill. But I, I don't know what that thing is because I don't know how to do anything. I know how to write an hour show every year. That's literally what I know how to do. I've never written a script before. I've never, and it's my own fault, but it's because that's what's paid my mortgage every year is th- that thing. And um, I just travel and travel and travel. And I just don't want to do that anymore. Uh, so uh, we, we need to finish up. But yeah. There's still a bunch of uh, very important questions that need to be asked. Uh, so firstly, I always talk about religion on the show. Um, and uh, was there, I mean, you, you say that your parents were artists. You seem to have been raised in a you know, reasonably liberal sort of household. Yeah. Was there religion yeah. Was there re- religion at all involved in that? Not re- like my grandmother who raised me for part of my, like my parents, we moved in, our whole family moved in with my grandmother at one point. My parents were having money issues and we moved in with her and she used to go to church, but in retrospect, she talks about it now. She was just there for the social aspect of it. Like, I don't think she ever actually really, her husband died when she was in her fifties. She once said to me, and it's the most full on thing I reckon anyone's ever said to me. But I was like, I I think I, when I was about 18, I like asked her flat, like, granny, do you, believe in God? And she was like, Oh no, 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 no. She was like, why would I believe in someone who took away the most important person in my life? And it just was like, Oh, Hmm. anyway, so I'll cut the crust off. Um, uh, (laughs) uh, but yeah, like really like a really brutal, but yeah, but she used to go for the, but then she's kind of getting the age now where all her, like she doesn't go anymore because quite literally all her family and friends that her age are dead. She is like the last one. Um, Never, no, my, like my mom, I once asked my mom if she believed in God and she went, oh no. Like it's just, it was never really, I used to go to Sunday school, but even then I never really bought into it. I don't, I find it, I don't know where this, but like I, I, I'm, I'm like a, I'm a pretty naturally like curious person, but only to the point of, I, I find it interesting when people spend their whole lives with religion, like chasing this thing. When it's like, don't you find the fact that you're alive fascinating enough? Like, that's kind of weirdly enough for me to just be like, the odds of me existing are bananas. And 
uh, that that should just be like crazy. Like that. Don't say like, well, how, like, well, did a man make me? What? Just like, no. But you're like, but you're here. That's pretty cool, right? Like. I think uh, maybe I'm just like I, I I don't like intellectualizing it too much because I'm scared of what might <laughs> what well, I might find. Does death uh, is death a thing that you think about? Like, are you are you a person who ha- like you know is death something that is ever on your mind? What do you think happens when we die? Almost constantly, but not but only the act of death. Like, I don't actually really think about the afterwards bit. I kind of think a lot about like, Oh, I hope it doesn't hurt. And like all that kind of stuff. But, um, I don't, I wish, I wish I had like a really clever answer, but I kind of just, it doesn't occupy me very much because I wish you had a really clever answer. Yeah. To it. Just be a much better podcast. you know. <laughs> but it really doesn't like it doesn't, um, it'll be a nice surprise either way. Like I, I forget what it is. It was some TV show. I have no idea where this is from, but someone, like this could be from like the Golden Girls or something, but um, someone said uh, where like the, someone had died and they were like, "Well, they know the secret now," and that's that's great. Like I'm I'm not chasing after the secret. Like if I if there's a thing at the end and there's a thing, cool. And I just hope it's not the bad thing. Um, but uh, <laughs> but no, it doesn't. I'm, I'm not. I'm definitely not living my life as if. Uh, like check my internet history. Uh, no, I'm, I'm 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 definitely not living my life in a way that is working towards an afterlife. Uh, no, 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 no. I'll be horrified if there is one. <laughs> I mean, I'm in real we're, trouble. We're fucked. I've already nailed my nailed my sail to that mast. Like I I have literally, and I know I'm way too young to be thinking about this, but I, I think like, oh, if I'm still alive when I'm like 85, 90, I would want to do that thing. That a lot of people do. I'm probably just going to hot shot myself with some heroin. And just get out of there. Get, like, I definitely am a big believer. Like, I'm going to get myself out of here. If I if I don't die some horrific accident, I'll be... I'll I mean, be. I think you're going to be pretty lucky that that won't be anything that you'll have to worry about because the planet will be completely destroyed Absolutely. by then. So it'll be fine. I'll be living in my sand mountain. <laughs> um, do you worry about things like that? I mean, you're someone who has a yeah, smart enough yeah, view of the world to understand that, like, you know, like... I mean, obviously, you know, we're in Australia and, you know, you're doing we're well. Lucky. We're going to be pretty lucky. We're not going to be the first people affected by the, you know, what's happening. But things are clearly happening with the state of our planet and, you know, with the future. Why? What have you heard? What? Well, I mean, look. <laughs> Imagine if I just had just no idea what you were talking about. Like, uh, why? You, would, why? you wouldn't be the only one, Rhys. What? How, how do you think about that? Does that come into any of your planning for the future? Do you and Kyron want to have a family? Yeah, like it's a conversation that we've been having recently, just kind of because it's a longer for a for a gay couple, it's a longer process. Like it's there's admin involved. <laughs> um so we <laughs> we have to like and decide whether, you know, I'm a big believer in adoption, but in this country it is quite tough to adopt just on a very basic Google level. It's like there's a lot of kind of rules about it and um uh but I, I definitely believe in that more than even even that on a sustain on a sustainable level, I would much pre- and it's a very romantic way to think about it. But I would prefer to save yeah. a life. Like I remember talking to might have been my mother in law or something about when that movie Lion came out. I feel like people took two things out of that movie, that Dev Patel movie, where I was like, "Well, we need to adopt kids and get them out, like and give them better lives and stuff." And a lot of other people took from that movie, like, 
well, you shouldn't adopt because they just they'll feel lost at all times. Like, oh, like my aunt was adopted from, um, I think, oh, was she from? Like, but just like, and she it changed her life and it made her life better. I think that kind of stuff. Just even on a sustainable level, um, that uh, I do think about that kind of stuff a lot. Like, just I I, I keep every year planning on eating less meat. I guess, but that I. <laughs> Um, no, but I think it... Never has there been a greater, like, analogy for humanity, which is we're I'm all a bit like, well, I thinking... guess we're... I'm definitely thinking about doing a... Uh, driving less. Like, but... Well, I can't drive, so I'm already winning. Um, just get a lot of Ubers. Uh, no, but not enough, like, like everyone, not enough. Like, mm. I'm not... I think about it a lot, but only in that laying stoned in bed at night going, I wonder if we're all going to die. But uh, not in enough where I wake up every... Like, I, I think what the problem is, is there's no direct thing. What can you do other than a million little personal things? Like... And, you know, there's a broader argument that no one individual can actually help. That, that you know, like 70% of the world's emissions come from like 100 yeah. big multinational corporations and we need them to change Short more than we need individuals Short of eco-terrorism. To, yeah. <laughs> like, there's... I do, I think we do have, like, if, you know, everyone, everyone is doing their best. Like, from what I was saying at the start, like, I feel like I'm doing my best, but at the same time, my best is probably not enough. (laughs) 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 Me at full cylinders is not even close to helping. If I stopped eating meat and... Got rid of our car and rode a bike every day like David Byrne. Like, if David Byrne can't fix it, we're all fucked. <laughs> um, I've been asking this one um, a bit recently, and uh, we can finish on this. And it, it may be that you don't have an answer to this, but... Um, oh, good. Uh, well, I'm just interested in, if you had a moment in your life over that you could redo, you know, Magic Wand style... Uh, if there was something that you, would you, would you take the opportunity? You know, I'm a genie. I come to you and say, you have the opportunity to erase a moment of your life, redo a moment of your life. Um, is there one that you would, you would take or you say, okay, no, everything that, you know, good or bad that has happened so far has, has got me to where I am today. I'll, 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 roll, I'll play with the, the hand that I've been dealt. I mean, it's such a, I would love in a very like, personally romantic sense to be like, no, everything I've ever done has led me here and blah, blah, blah. But I think given the opportunity, oh yeah, like <laughs> there's like 70 things yeah. that come to mind <laughs> right now. Like there's shitloads of stuff. Yeah. Like, it, but I don't, there's no big thing. Yeah. It's like. It's like, how, how long can I have this one for? Yeah. Like, can I, you leave the room for a bit and yeah. I got some, I got a, I got a list to make. Yeah. Um, because it's, but it's not big. It's just lots of little, yeah. like, how do I, work? like tiny moments of cruelty, like just weird, like what we were talking about earlier, but any weird things where I've realized an hour later, oh, you might've hurt that person's feelings without realizing you're doing it at the time. Like just by being like flippant about something and then like, especially stuff between it's even like within my relationship, just kind of going. I should have shown, it's, you know, I'll be laying in a hotel room in another city and be like, I should have shown more interest in what he was talking about yesterday or something. And probably he does the same thing to me. Like just weird little things like that, because those aren't, we can say everything I've ever done has led me to this moment, but nothing 
the, taking out those little moments can only make things better. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like me being absolutely accidentally mean to someone is only going to make things worse. I think. I like that. I feel like that's everybody else so far is like not taking the magic wand, I think. And I appreciate that you have taken the magic wand because yeah. I respond very much to what you're I'm like, <laughs> you kidding me? Of course I'm like I a fucking m- would. million things. I'm yeah. happy to erase 75% of my life. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I'd be like, this is so like the, I'm now not thinking about the podcast. I'm just thinking about things <laughs> I'd like to change. Yeah. I've got things today. Yeah. Like literally things. I'm doing things right now yeah. that you don't know about. Oh, no. Well, during this podcast, there's been a couple of moments where I'm like, I wish I'd asked that better. <laughs> oh, you think like this is the, the I'm going to be listening to the, actually, I probably won't. I'm terrible yeah. at listening to these types of things, but I will be like, this will be haunting me. <laughs> like this lane there was like, you sounded like such a fuckhead. Like, I've been doing this thing recently that I need to stop doing, and I know we're wrapping up, but um, where uh, I uh, will get a bit stoned. Come at me, police. Uh, and um, why would I say that? I don't know. Am I allowed to talk about this? Anyway. I think the uh, image of me on the, this podcast is oh, me, yeah, is me smoking a joint. So, so we're fine. It's a safe space. Um, I, and I've, I'm... By the way, just for the record, when we were doing uh, one of the podcasts at the Sydney Opera House, they, uh, they, will not, uh, they made us digitally remove the joint. That's hilarious. Uh, because you can't advertise the Sydney Opera House with a, yeah. Well, I've been stoned there a lot of times. Um, Me too. But yeah. I'm just saying, can't advertise it, apparently. Against the I rules. Just, I, I'd never been to LA before properly as an adult, and I went to a dispensary for the first time. Mm. It blew my fucking mind. Anyways, um, it's like, it was like, and a guy walked past me, like smoking on a little vaporizer and it was like, he looked at me like I was having a glass of wine. Like it was fine. You're not, so, but you're not a, we should like, I mean, not that we need to point this out, but I think it is interesting to point out. You're not like a big stoner. No, 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 no. You're actually like a, a bit of a, more of a bedtime stoner. Like I, I, uh, it's only, I've only done it for a couple of years, but it's because I just wasn't sleeping. Like at, like I was not full insomnia, but kind of three and a half, four hours a night and was just, was going loopy and, yeah, like a few years ago, someone literally just, I was on a road show and a comedian that I won't name was like, have you tried this? And yeah. I came back the next morning and was like, okay, so you've changed my mind uh, and my life. Yeah. Uh, but I've started doing this thing occasionally if I really want to go to sleep where I smoke a joint and then we have a vaporizer and I get into bed and I call it getting to the edge of the abyss. Uh, we're in the darkness. I get as stoned as I possibly can without falling off the cliff. But that just, if I do fall off the cliff, oh... It's haunting. Like, it's har- just the thoughts. Things from 10 years ago. Like, that's if, if you gave me the wand then, yeah. I would have never been born. Like, it just would have... <laughs> I just feel like, well, we can just nip all of this in the butt. And maybe, maybe mum will turn dad down that night. Um, Reese, uh, plug your show again uh, so that people can come and see it. Uh, it's called... Reasonable for nice people, nice things, nice situations. It's a Melbourne Comedy Festival. I think I'm like 8, 15 or something. Um, Whereabouts uh, are you on? At the Victoria Hotel in the banquet room. Okay. So like the downstairs. And the, yeah, I'm yep. very excited about the room. It's got a shame curtain at the back if you haven't sold enough tickets. It's a good, that, it is a good room though. I, yeah. I, I uh, have played that room over the years and I reckon it's a really good room. It's lovely. Um, uh, but the bit, I'm doing the Enmore Theatre in Sydney, which I'm terrified about, but um, I think we've sold about half of downstairs. Um, and when is that? That's on the 11th of May. You, well, you definitely should go and see that. That'll be Please. an amazing moment because you used to 
I worked there. Work at the Enmore Theatre. For years. And the idea of like, you know, a big full Enmore Theatre crowd, like you standing there on stage must be a very important gig to you, I imagine. It's huge. It's like the joke I've been making to friends is um, it just shows you how what 10 years can do. Like in 10 years, I've moved about 10 metres from my box office. <laughs> Onto the stage. But you also know that if you fill that room, and I hope that you do, because I hope you get the full experience, that you get to A, do stand-up comedy on the same stage as the Rolling Stones played on. Yeah. And B... um, Johnny Cash cover bands as well. Get to inspire every kid working in the box office. Like, you know, yeah. you'll, you'll be that classic example of that story of going, well, Reese Nicholson used to work in the box office here and he's playing the main room now. And I think like... A- yeah, like it's and but also working there also gave me the way that I think I treat show business now as well, which is like so many performers were cunts to me yeah. <laughs> in my process. I was like, no, be nice, just be nice to people because they're selling your tickets. Grace, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.